This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, January 30th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Between student debt and the less-than-clear benefits delivered by a standard college degree, higher ed has at least two big problems. In the forthcoming book, Unprofitable Education, editors Todd Zawicki and Neil McCluskey walk us through some of the big problems facing higher ed. I spoke with Cato Senior Fellow Todd Zawicki earlier this month. Unprofitable schooling is... uh at least a double entendre. <laughs> so uh, tell me what you're talking about. Well, that's exactly right, Caleb, which is uh, what this is, is a book about unprofitable for students uh, in the sense that we have this exploding student loan debt problem and education is becoming more of a negative sum investment for, for more people. It's just a bad investment. Also unprofitable in the sense that one of the the overarching and animating theme of the book is how can we use competition and consumer choice to improve the higher ed system in the same way the competition and consumer choice has revolutionizes other areas of the economy. And in particular, one of the things that the book tackles is the policies during the Obama administration, which is when this book first started coming together, which essentially consisted of a war against the for-profit uh, colleges while – unprecedented levels of subsidies to the nonprofit colleges, community colleges, four-year colleges, and the like. And so those are really the two, uh, the double entendre is the idea of treating uh, institutions differently based purely on their ownership structure, for-profit versus nonprofit, and how regulatory policies are turning college into a negative sum investment for so many Americans. If I were the head of the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and I wanted to vigorously enforce the single mandate of the CFPB, <laughs> which I know you and I have talked about on a number of occasions, I would think that consumers of higher education, people who are at age 18, strongly encouraged to sign a lot of paperwork and take on a hundred thousand, sometimes two hundred thousand dollars in debt for an undergraduate degree would cry out for some sort of substantial uh, regulation. So why is that process so easy for young people to find themselves in after they graduate from college with a four-year degree of, let's say, less than clear value in the marketplace? Basically, our institutions of higher learning have gotten a free pass uh, from the regulators, right? Essentially, what they say is, well, you're a nonprofit institution, so obviously you're looking out for your consumers. Um, and anybody who has spent a day is uh, working inside a university knows that's one of the most ridiculous things ever, right? Which is universities are big business. And universities have been able to raise their prices uh, over and over and over again. Um, and our policies, basically, every time we increase financial aid for universities, they just get more expensive. And that's actually a fact, uh, which is that's what the evidence shows. And so we've essentially given them a, a, a free pass on the idea that, well, education is just a good thing for everybody, right? Well, maybe not. And maybe it's not worth the amount of money that we're dumping uh, into it. Um, not to mention the other part is where is all that money going? 
Well, the evidence we show in the book, uh, in, in my chapter that I contribute, is that money isn't going into the classroom. It's not going to better education. It's going to bureaucrats. Uh, the, the growth in administrative spending is totally outstripped, um, the growth of classroom spending. And it's going to more and more lavish buildings, uh, the bread and circus environment that we have on university campuses today. They treat students as consumers, and they basically give them the, you know, the party that they want. And so they're not really improving student learning. They're not putting money in the classroom. They're just charging more and more for more and more lavish country clubs. I uh, tell people that the number one thing that I learned in my undergraduate studies was how to negotiate a large bureaucracy, <laughs> which, you know, if you're, if the idea is that uh, colleges, especially not not-for-profit or non-profit colleges or state schools are uh, focusing on the customer or focusing on the students, that's really not true. That's right. And the model that we use in in the book um, and that comes out of my earlier work is to think of university bureaucracies as being like government bureaucracies, right? And Bill Niskanen, who was, you know, for a long time the chairman here or whatever his position was at Cato, wrote the seminal study of bureaucracy in the 1970s, which is he said, basically, bureaucrats exist to build their empires, uh, to get bigger budgets, fancier offices and the like. And that's exactly what you see on university campuses. Uh, as I joke, one university bureaucrat actually works, two university bureaucrats hold meetings, and then I hire a third person to actually do the work. Uh, they just kind of replicate themselves within these university structures, and more and more money gets dumped into bureaucracy. Um, the other thing that's interesting about bureaucracy is I uh, like to cite Pope John the Twenty Third. You may have heard the great story, uh, or maybe it's uh, apocryphal. President Kennedy said, uh, "Well, uh, Pope, how, uh, your, your Holy Father, how many people work in the Vatican?" To which the Pope responded, "Yeah, about half." <laughs> <laughs> and that's what happens. And literally, we've got this replication of bureaucrats in university campuses, and nobody knows what they do. Literally, nobody can come up with an explanation for why the bureaucracies have grown so rapidly on university campuses. I've seen a lot of uh, state's attorneys general uh, taking aim at for-profit colleges for providing uh, what they say are essentially dubious credentials credentials that don't confer a lot of value in the marketplace. You know, that standard is never really applied to uh, public schools or nonprofit schools, but w how do regulators and how do uh, how does law enforcement view uh, for-profit and nonprofit schools differently? Well, one of the more interesting chapters in our book is a contribution by economists Bill Shugart and Jamie Lemke, where they look at sort of why for-profit colleges proved so successful. Um, and the reason is, is that they meet student needs primarily. So they give the example for if you call up a for-profit college, say Strayer or someplace like that, they answer the phone on the first ring and they give you the answer you need. If you try to get information from a community college, you're lucky if you can get anybody to talk to you. And um, if you do, two-thirds of the time or 80% of the time, they refer you, refer you to the website, right? So who goes to for-profit colleges? It's, it's older people. It's working people. It's people with kids, people who don't have this experience navigating a uh, bureaucracy um, and don't come from upper-middle-class backgrounds where they're used to, to dealing with these systems. And that's not appreciated that, that, that that's what it is. The other thing that we have to really be careful about is unintended consequences when it comes to this, which is that 
what drives a lot of what is perceived of the problems as for-profit colleges is actually demographics, uh, which is if you look, for example, at the data that compares default rates on student loans for community colleges and for-profit colleges, they're virtually identical. And nobody wants to make that comparison. And it basically has to do with the fact that these are uh, relatively at-risk students um, who uh, um, are barely able to get into uh, to, to school. Um, they're older, and there's a lot of correlates for what's going on. And so I think what has happened is these AGs, uh, previously the CFPB, look at for-profit colleges, and their view is, is profit is fundamentally uh, at odds and has a conflict of interest with treating students well. Uh, and there's no evidence uh, to back that up. Uh, and if you look at the scandals in higher education today, whether you want to talk about the Penn State football team or the Michigan State gymnastics team, to say that higher education, just because it calls itself nonprofit, is somehow pure um, and only looking out for the good of its students, I think is uh, uh, naive at best uh, and really pernicious at worst. Universities view themselves as having uh, you know, a job to provide something to the students who attend those universities. Is it important for universities to say, well, we are conferring degrees that have value, uh, monetary value in terms of these skills that we are specifically provide, uh, helping these students foster? Is it, is it really that important? Great question, Caleb. And, and one of the things that's going on is a correlation versus causation question, uh, which is we know that higher ed that having a degree is correlated with a lot of good things in life, right? Better earnings over your lifetime, less likely to be unemployed, a lot of things. Better now, marriage prospects. Better marriage prospects, right? The question, though, is, is, is that because of something you're getting from college or is it because the people who can go to college and succeed in college would be doing well anyway. Uh, and Brian Kaplan um, in his book uh, from last year estimates that I, th I think it's about two-thirds uh, maybe uh, or roughly 55% um, um, is purely because of the intrinsic ability somebody has, right? So studies have found, for instance, that if you could have been accepted into an Ivy League school, if you had the numbers to be accepted in Ivy League school, you don't go to an Ivy League school, you do just as well as somebody who would have gone to the Ivy League school, right? That it has your internal, your own aptitude, your social capital, all those sorts of things. What we've ended up with with respect to higher education, though, is the worst of all worlds, which is this pretense that everybody should go to a four-year college, but it turns out not everybody graduates. And as Brian Kaplan also jokes, he says, um, the best investment you can ever make in your life is to go to the fourth year of college. Because <laughs> if you go to the first three, you don't get much benefit from it. You get your value from the degree. And what we're ending up now is we're putting people through school who go to a year or two of college, get the debt but don't get the wage premium they get from it. And those are the people who are ending up really struggling with student loans and struggling in the workforce. To what extent is uh, the four-year college degree, I, I suppose, a pass through a blunt sorting mechanism that employers use? And how much of that blunt sorting mechanism that employers use is driven by some kind of regulation? 
It, that's uh, a huge amount of it is just uh, it's a it's a signal is what people say, right? The, you signal that you are the kind of person who can essentially do the arbitrary tasks it takes in order to graduate from college, including negotiating the, a bureaucracy, negotiating a bureaucracy, turning things in on time, right? Basically being more or less socially presentable, right? That you have all these uh, these sorts of things. College is a very expensive way to do that, and. What a lot of people have proposed to be alternative credentialing systems um, where you could credential competency, for example. Well, Josh Hall has a chapter in, in our book that talks about the accreditation cartel. And this is where the real problem comes in, I think, and a real problem for competition and consumer choice, which is accreditation has become the tail that wags the dog, the dog now being basically federal money. And the story of this is really quite interesting, which is it all goes back to the GI Bill. And after when people came home from World War II, when men came home, they got the GI Bill. They decided they wanted a college degree, but a lot of them didn't actually want to go to college. So these diploma mills sprung up where basically they would take money and they'd give you a degree. When they reauthorized the uh, GI Bill after the Korean War, basically what they said was, well, we got to make sure this money's going to real universities and not diploma mills. How can we determine that? Oh, it turns out this thing here called accreditation. We'll let them decide who's a real university. And out of that has grown the entire behemoth of accreditation, which is basically incumbent universities deciding who gets to be a university, right? Complete cartel system using arbitrary uh, uh, credentials, but they basically decide who gets federal money and federal financial aid. And so they've basically become the chokehold to protect themselves from competition and reform. What about on the employer side? What kind of uh, regulations strongly encourage employers, if there are any, to hire only people who are graduated of four-year degree institutions? Well, one thing that seems to have happened over time is credential creep, right, which is jobs that traditionally used to only have a uh, – need a high school degree, now need a college degree. And a lot of jobs used to have a college degree. Now you get a graduate school degree. And it's not exactly clear what's driving that, at least that I've been able to see. There's a, a lot of theories. And some of it has to do with occupational licensing, right, which uh, just attaches arbitrary educational requirements uh, to things. Some people have argued it has to do with the application of, uh, of uh, uh, equal protection laws and employment context, which is – um, made it more difficult to rely on sort of tests where uh, courts have upheld a college degree as not having a disparate impact, even though it obviously does. We don't have a really good theory that I'm aware of where anybody's really explained why this premium for a college degree has come about and why em employers basically make you do it for a job that really only could be done with a high school degree if you were capable enough to do the job. Because you would expect there would be – potentially huge benefits to be gained for employers having a wider pool of applicants and being able to choose people who uh, can do the job without necessarily resorting to this to a very blunt sorting mechanism. And especially because modern universities teach you almost nothing that's directly relevant. <laughs> 
<laughs> to, to being in the workforce, right? What they do do is signal or screen, as we said. They may also teach people sort of some of the soft skills of life, right? How to dress for a job interview, uh, things like that. But it's an awfully expensive and convoluted and wasteful way of teaching people those skills if that's what justifies this uh, importance of a college degree. Todd Zawicki is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute and co-editor of the forthcoming book, Unprofitable Schooling. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 